You can turn to Proverbs if you like. We will be jumping all around in Proverbs, and I'll explain that in a minute. But first, I'm going to read four different selections from Proverbs. I'll be looking at Proverbs 27, Proverbs 16, Proverbs 22, and Proverbs 30. Hear now the word of the Lord. Proverbs 27, 20. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 22, 1 and 2. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. The trouble with money is not money. Money is not evil in and of itself. Money is neutral. It has the capacity, in fact, for great good. It is not money that troubles us. No, we see in 1 Timothy 6, it is something else. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And yet, if our approach to the problem of our love of money is to simply tell ourselves, stop doing it, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Even if we are following the instructions and the wisdom that we find in God's word and even in Proverbs as we look at this morning. Because in Proverbs, we've been telling you this each week as we've looked at Proverbs and we're going to say it every week we're in this book. In Proverbs, we really only have half the story. Let me explain that in a minute. It reminds me of when Indiana Jones was a good movie series. And in the first, sorry, I had to, in the very first movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's a scene where Indiana Jones, the hero, is, is trying to find a treasure, and he has a device that will tell him where to dig. But the bad guys have a similar device telling them where to dig, and they've gotten there first, and they're already digging. And Indiana Jones goes into the map room, and he's using this device that shows where to go, but but one thing that they have discovered, Indiana Jones and the good guys have learned that, that this device that will lead them where to go, it has two sides to it. And the bad guys only have one side. And if you follow the instructions on both sides, it takes you to a different location. And Indiana Jones and his, his friends suddenly realize as they look at the bad guys seeking their treasure, they say, they're digging in the wrong place. 
And if we take God's word and we simply look at it as a series of rules and instructions on what to do to be happy and what to do uh, to please God and what to do to earn his favor and what to do to keep ourselves from the love of money, if that's all we see in here, then we only have half the story and we're digging in the wrong place. When it comes to wealth, we often hear how bad money is, how dangerous it is. We are warned to stop being greedy, stop chasing money, be more generous. And we get all those good instructions from God's word. But if if that's all there is, then it's only half the story and we're digging in the wrong place. The role of Proverbs is not to tell us how to be saved from our greed by following wisdom It's to tell us how to live out the gospel in our relationship with money. As people who have already been saved from sin and greed and death, how do we now live? How do we relate to wealth and money? What do we do with the desire of our heart that is reinforced by everything in our culture to seek wealth? Proverbs assumes the other half of the story. Proverbs assumes the gospel that we have been set free from our bondage to these things by the power of Christ on the cross. And so only those who are trusting in Christ are able to rightly relate to wealth. Proverbs assumes what the gospel makes real, that we are able to do what the wisdom of God instructs us to do. And so, as we're going to mention each week, as we look at Proverbs, we are forced to approach it in a different way than we normally approach a text of Scripture. Normally, we would take a chapter and go verse by verse through it. Proverbs is structured differently. It doesn't allow us to do that. We, we misrepresent Proverbs if we try to do that. And so, we're going to be looking at the whole scope of the book, drawing verses from all over to see what wisdom we have from Proverbs on how to relate to our money as people who are redeemed by God. There's no way we can cover all of it. We could do a whole month on what Proverbs teaches us about money. The Bible talks about money more than almost anything else. Because as Jesus even points out, money is the greatest false idol that competes for the devotion of our heart. And he even says you can't serve both God and money. But as we read through Proverbs, we see many warnings, three of which I want to look at today. Warnings for those who would seek after wealth. The first thing, the first warning I want us to look at is that when we seek wealth, we seek what can never satisfy. We seek what can never truly satisfy. The Holy Spirit warns us in Proverbs that wealth cannot satisfy us. In verses chapter 23, verses 4 through 5, we read, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Doesn't say do not toil, period. Toil is a good thing. Work is a good thing. But don't toil with the goal of becoming wealthy. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, on wealth, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. The image here is something that we desire but can never really grasp or obtain or lay hold of. We want it, but it it eludes us. The solution, instead of trying harder, running faster, the solution is to have the wisdom not to set our hearts on things that are not made to satisfy us. They're not made to remain. 
But we need to dig deeper and see why it is that wealth can never satisfy. It doesn't take biblical wisdom to know that wealth can't satisfy. It is said that someone once asked a billionaire, how much money is enough? To which the billionaire answered, just a little bit more. Doesn't matter how much you have, you always want a little bit more. In fact, just yesterday, I, I didn't even plan this, I didn't go seeking this. Just yesterday in my newsfeed, I, I saw an, a, an article about a survey that just went out, a study that was just released uh, about how much money Americans feel like they need to be secure. 233000 a year. Most Americans believe they cannot feel secure unless they have at least 233000 a year. And yet to be financially comfortable and secure, the need that most Americans have is about a third of that. The problem is not wealth itself. The problem, Proverbs tells us, is in our hearts. It's us. Proverbs 27.20, Sheol and Abaddon. That's two words that occur a few times in Proverbs. It refers to the place where the dead go and the place where the evil are destroyed. It's basically like saying heaven and hell. Heaven and hell are never satisfied. The grave is never satisfied. It never has enough. And likewise, never satisfied are the eyes of man. The problem isn't that we don't have enough money. The problem isn't that we're not earning enough, not saving enough, not being paid enough. The problem is that we're not good at being satisfied. It's a heart problem. The musical The Greatest Showman introduces one of its characters as she's singing a song called Never Enough with words, towers of gold, it'll all be too little. These hands could hold the world and it'll never be enough. Never be enough for me. Those lyrics capture the problem of the human heart when we are seeking wealth. We will never reach a point where our heart says, yeah, I think I've got enough now. I don't need any more. Which is why the wisdom of Proverbs is of no use to us unless our hearts are transformed by the grace of God. Only through the gospel are we able to rightly relate to money. Otherwise, we are never able to be satisfied. To the church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The promise of the gospel, the assurance that it gives us is that God richly provides us with everything that we need, but not just what we need. That verse we looked at at the beginning from 1 Timothy about the love of money being the root of all evil, it goes on. And in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, as for those who are rich in this present age, which is looking at the global economy, most of the people in this room would be considered rich. Charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us not just with everything we need, but provides us with everything to enjoy. What we seek when we seek wealth will never satisfy because we're endlessly pouring money into a bottomless pit that is the human heart. Only God is big enough to fill that emptiness, that God-shaped hole that we hear about. The greatest riches can never fill the void in your heart. Depression, despair, addiction, these things flourish even among the super, super wealthy of the world. 
even more so at times do they struggle with depression and addiction and despair despite their riches because they have attained everything that the world says should satisfy them and they have learned that it's not true. Sociologist Michael Novak suggests that in the United States we may soon see a spiritual revival beginning among the wealthy. And he says it's for this reason the Bible tells us that man cannot live by bread alone. But you have to have bread to realize that. Rich people are finding that wealth by itself does not bring meaning and fulfillment. When you seek wealth, you seek what will never satisfy. And yet when we trust in Christ, our needs are met and abundant life is given. Such a one who has received that satisfaction in Christ says with David in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I lack nothing. And then he says to the Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. We experience the abundance of God satisfying us regardless of our bank account balance, regardless of how big our house is or how secure our portfolio is. When the Lord is our shepherd, we are satisfied. Only through Christ are we able to be fulfilled in a way that wealth is powerless to do. Because our longing is a spiritual longing, not a material one. The poverty we experience is a poverty of spirit, not of funds. And Jesus died that we might have abundance. In him we have what Peter describes in 1 Peter 1, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you seek wealth? You seek what will never satisfy. And so as Proverbs warns us against, against chasing after wealth, it does so knowing that you will only be able to obey its wisdom if you have found satisfaction in what Christ has done for you. Another warning that we see in Proverbs is that if we seek wealth, we seek what is not most valuable. Of course, that's true from an eternal perspective. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You can't take it with you. But even from an earthly perspective, Proverbs is filled, filled with commentary on this to show you just a few of many similar Proverbs warning us that wealth is not what's most valuable. Listen to just four that I've pulled out here, four or five. Proverbs 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of just some herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Proverbs 17, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 28, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. I could have filled pages with examples just from Proverbs 
showing us that there are things that are more valuable and more to be sought after than wealth. But the theme becomes clear. You may have wealth, but still be lacking what is truly valuable. Say you don't want no diamond rings. I'll be satisfied. Tell me that you want the kind of things that money just can't buy. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. The Beatles were right. They're the kind of things that money just can't buy. Wealth does not guarantee peace. Wealth does not ensure family harmony. Wealth does not guarantee integrity, a good reputation. And the wisdom of Scripture is that having these things is better than being rich and lacking them. Proverbs is not telling us that it's wrong to be rich. Not telling us it's bad to have wealth. These things are a blessing from God. We'll get to that in a minute. But if we have them and lack the things that are truly valuable, then we are not going to be happy. We're not going to be at peace. We're not going to be satisfied. And we are not blessed. The problem, again, is not money itself. The problem is the human heart that places disproportionate value on things. Once again, we learn that the wisdom of Proverbs to seek these things that are truly valuable instead of money, that is of no use to us unless our hearts are first transformed by the grace of God. It's not enough to simply tell us that we want the wrong things. What we need instead is for our desires to be changed. James chapter 4 asks, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have. You desire things that you don't have. It's misplaced desires. It's crooked desires. It's twisted, nearsighted desires that are the problem. Not the things we desire. We tend to desire good things, but in the wrong order, in the wrong way. You can tell a child again and again and again, that they should eat vegetables instead of candy. But if both of those things are put before them, what is the child, what is the grown-up going to choose? Our desires are misplaced, and until our desires are transformed, we will go after the things that are not valuable. Listen to how the Bible describes this problem in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this world, speaking of the enemy, which is Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We are blinded in this world, unable to understand what is true and what is good and what is valuable and what is beautiful. And left in that state of blindness, we will end up, always end up pursuing what is inferior, what lacks true worth. We're blinded. But what does Jesus do every time he meets a blind person in the Gospels? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And yet God The same God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Let there be light. That same creative power has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we don't just have rules to follow or good ideas to consider. We don't just have a list of proverbs that tell us what we should do. Good luck doing them. Eat your vegetables. 
No. We are given the ability to see and understand the world in a way we never did before. We are finally able to see what is truly valuable. And so when Proverbs tells us that wisdom is better than wealth, that peace is better than riches, that integrity is better than profit, those whose eyes have been opened by the light of God in their hearts not only hear those things, but they are able to understand them and respond to them. So that when you have the opportunity to make money by compromising your integrity, you can confidently say, as the Lord did in Mark, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's not going to be worth anything to me. Or when you find yourself discontent and envious of the wealth and prosperity of the world around you, you can say, as Jesus did in Luke, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not what's valuable. Those who seek wealth seek what is not most valuable. But those who are saved in Christ learn what is truly worth living for and are freed from the entrapment and deception of the pursuit of wealth. The last warning that we'll look at today from Proverbs for those who seek wealth is that when you seek wealth, you seek what can only be given. You seek what can only be given. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This is a cool proverb. It's an example of the wisdom of avoiding extremes. I don't want to be so rich that I forget about God and become self-reliant. I don't want to become so poor that I'm tempted to sin in my poverty and, and disobey God's commands. No one wants to be poor, but there's also a danger to the other extreme of wealth. We have to be mindful of both. But the assumption behind that prayer, the prayer, can you pull it up again from Proverbs 30? The prayer is, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Give me what is needful for me. The assumption behind that prayer is that even our financial state is something that is under God's control. I know that might be an uncomfortable statement. After all, we are Americans. We have freedom. We have built a country on self-determination and hard work and perseverance, and everyone has the same ability to make their way in the world. Yes, absolutely, we are responsible to use what abilities and opportunities we have and God has called us to be good stewards of his gifts to us. But no matter how we get our money, it is God who made it happen. 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Did you or do you now have a prosperous career or at least a secure job? That is God's gracious provision to you. It could have been otherwise. Do you or did you have the physical ability to get out of bed and work? That is God's gracious gift to you. It could have been otherwise. Do you have even the mental ability to speak and to think and to reason, that is God's gracious gift to you. Or as our dear brother prayed in our prayer of invocation this morning, he's even given us the breath that we breathe. It could have been otherwise. However you came about your wealth, God was at work graciously giving it to you. 
He warns Moses in Exodus 4. Who is it that made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? When you seek wealth, it is the Lord who gives it. You cannot attain it apart from his provision in your life. Your ability to work, to save, to think, it comes from God. And even if you work hard and plan well and do all the right things, it is God's purpose that prevails in the end, as Proverbs reminds us in Proverbs 19. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Don't hear me wrong. It is good to emphasize hard work. The Bible tells us to do so. It is good to train and to discipline ourselves, but let us never lose sight of the hand of the Lord making us able to work and prospering the work we do, and let us thank Him for it. As Proverbs 22 reminds us, the rich and the poor meet together. They're on the same level ground because the Lord is the maker of them all. If we seek wealth by looking to our own strength, we're rejecting the truth that we are taught in James chapter 1, that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. But once again, as with the other two warnings we saw, this wisdom for wealth seekers that we find in Proverbs is something that is of no use to us without the gospel. Proverbs tells us to look to God for our wealth, whether he gives riches or not. Whatever we have comes from his hand. And that truth by itself is not a comfort. It is defeatist. It is fatalistic. And it is unmotivating. What joy is there in knowing that wealth comes from God if I have no assurance that he will give it to me? The answer, the comfort, is in the other half. Of the story. The answer is the gospel. For those whose hopes are grounded in prosperity, for those who believe that they need riches to be happy, the power of God to bestow or withhold wealth is a terrible thing. But to those who are saved in Jesus Christ, it takes on new meaning. We are told in 2 Corinthians 8 You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The gospel is the message that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we become truly enriched, not necessarily with finances. We become enriched in the ways that matter. Not with a wealth that will fade or disappear, but with an inheritance that is undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. One that truly satisfies and that is truly valuable. God has your eternal satisfaction secured because of what Jesus has done. He has taken on the true poverty that you should fear. And has given you the true blessing of his riches. With that as foundation, the word of Proverbs that wealth is given by God takes on new and joyful meaning. If he gives you wealth, it is for his purposes and according to his plan. If he does not give you wealth, it is likewise for his good purposes. And regardless of how much or how little you have, there is no lack in your life. There is no neediness. 
There is no true poverty for one who is enriched by the grace of Jesus Christ. There is no way in which you are not abundantly and sufficiently blessed and provided for both now and eternally. Those who trust in God's salvation in Jesus Christ can be at peace knowing that wealth is given by God. Not capriciously, not randomly, not haphazardly or carelessly, but given by a God who has already supplied everything you need. A God who lovingly numbers the hairs on your head. The God who clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the sparrows. That is the God who determines whether or not you have riches in this life. The gospel teaches us that no matter how much or how little we have, we are still abundantly blessed by a loving God who meets our needs now and forever. Whatever we need, the Lord will provide. As we prepare our hearts this morning for the Lord's Supper, let us look to the Lord's Supper as a reminder, a reminder of these things. Here we have before us symbols and reminders of the body and blood of the one who, though he was rich, yet became poor for us. We have also the seal of God's promise, His covenant to His people, that He will always provide, both now and forever. We have here a reminder that though we gain the whole world, it is meaningless in light of God's eternal judgment of sin represented in the death of Christ. Here we are told that all the wealth of the world will not meet our needs and will not satisfy if we are still under the condemnation of God, which Christ takes in our place. Here we are shown that what is most valuable is not what we possess, but rather who it is that possesses us. Here we are shown that God gives to his children all that they need. We needed a savior. God has graciously given. Join me as we pray, preparing our hearts to receive the sign and the seal of the provision of the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in what you have given, knowing that we could not have worked to earn or deserve these things. We could not have done enough to get them on our own. It is only by your grace that comes before our striving that we have these things. Discipline our hearts at this table, Lord. May what we taste and smell and see and feel here this morning shape our hearts and guide us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is represented here and with us now. In his name, amen. Are our children not here yet? All right. We'll continue then, and they'll join us as they're ready. The gospel assures us of the provision of God. And as you eat the bread and drink from the cup, you are reminded this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that is significant. Because in Scripture we are told in Romans chapter 8 that He who did not spare His own Son but freely gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Keep that verse in mind as you receive the bread and the cup. 
If God did not spare His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all, what would He withhold? What good thing would God withhold from those to whom He has given even His Son? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. Come on in, kids. Let's pause a moment and let them join us with joy. We are so happy they're here. They look happy to be back. And I'm going to have a question for the kids. All right, kids, listen up. I want you to think about a time. All right, kids, are you listening? I want you to think about it. Thank you. Thank you for that answer. I want you to think about a time when mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, somebody you love very much got you a big present. Maybe it was a bike. Maybe it was that big giant Lego set you've been wanting for so long. Maybe I don't know what it was, just something big. And it was in a big old box and it was wrapped up and you, you ripped open that paper and you opened up the box. Oh my goodness! And you can't believe it. And you pull it out and it's this thing that, that you know probably cost them a lot of money and it was really special and you wanted it so much. But there was this neat little bow on top too that you wanted. You know? Do you think if you said, Mom, Dad, can I keep that bow too? What are they going to say? No! Be happy with what you have. No, that's not how it works. And that's what we just heard, the grown-ups just heard from Romans chapter 8. God says, I have given you my son, Jesus Christ. Do you think I'm going to hold back any good thing from you? Is that how the love of God works? Do you think that's how the love of God works? No. Is there anything that is good for us that our hearts truly desire that God will say no if he has given us Jesus Christ? No. So as you, as you see the bread and cup go past, remember what you've been given. Remember the generosity of God in the gospel, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given you everything. How will he not also give you whatever you need? Those who seek wealth seek what will never satisfy, what is not truly valuable and what only God can give. But those whose hearts are shaped by the gospel know that the generous God who gave his son on the cross will give us what will truly satisfy, what is truly valuable. Let us remember that as we share in the Lord's Supper today. As, as our elders come forward to assist us, I want to remind you that the Lord's Supper is for those who have received the gospel. This is not for those who are considering it, just thinking about it, maybe just exploring it, maybe testing it. That's not what this is about. If that's you... I ask you to just let the bread and let the cup pass by. Because to eat and to drink is to confess your faith in Jesus. And we don't want you to do that with your actions if it's not true in your heart. But this is not something exclusive for the people who are in the in club of our church. This is for all who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Who have drawn near to him and believed in the gospel truly and obeyed that gospel. This is for you. Not for everybody who's obeyed it perfectly. 
Not for everybody, only for everybody who understands it through and through. This is also for the doubters, the questioners, the sinners, the strugglers, the weak, the wounded, the tempted, the sick, the sore, the heavy laden, the heavy burdened, who are looking to Christ for their strength and trusting what he has done to be enough. You are welcome at the table of the Lord. Here is the treasure that you see. But if you have confessed the Lord in word and yet do not grieve your sin, if you think the grace of God is permission to rebel against God and to reject his ways, you have not received Christ in the way he's called you to. And at this table is a warning that as generous as God is in giving us Christ, Christ had to die for sin. And anyone who does not trust him and follow him and obey him with their whole heart turning from their sin and rejecting it they risk falling under the same condemnation that Christ took on our behalf so I warn you if you are not mourning your sin if you are not grieving your disobedience change that before you dare come to the table of the Lord turn away from that And likewise, we take this together. And as the bread comes around and as the cup come around, don't jump ahead of the group. Hang on to it and wait until we receive it together because it symbolizes also the unity that we have as one body of Christ. And if there is something in your heart that is breaking that unity, if you are withholding from another the grace of God for their sin against you, or if you are refusing to repent of the harm and grievous ill that you've done another and to seek their forgiveness, make that right. Before you act out a symbol of our oneness, make it right in your heart and be one with your brother or your sister. And commit to fixing it when you leave here today. Let's join our hearts in prayer. If you need to confess sin, do it as I pray. If you need your conscience to be clear, do it as I pray. And in all things, to all of you I say, look to Jesus, the gift of God. Our gracious Father, this is your gift to us. This is the wealth that our hearts have sought in every dollar we chased. We wanted the security and the joy and the peace that does not come from dollars but from the Son of God dying in our place, uniting us to our Heavenly Father once again. Make that real as we feed in faith this morning. And may we leave here disciples, quick to obey because of the goodness of God poured out to us in Christ. In His name we pray.